The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we move into, for the love of garbage, it's still not December the final day of November. Gary, how are you? Doing great. Here we go. Here we go. Let's start out with a Biden fact check, okay? All right. And this fine. is very quick. We don't have to we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, all right. All good. right. That's that's the beauty about it. Good. He uh, he gets to uh a truth or a lie. I'm trying to create suspense here. Mm. He gets uh, to the truth <laughs> or, or the lie very quickly. Yeah. All right. Here we go. By the way, I cut the federal deficit of over $7 billion. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. All right. Next. What's next up? All right. Here we go. Uh, all right. When I took office, since then, the first two years, we created over 14 million brand new jobs. That's a lie. Wrong. False. That's a lie. Lie. Yes. <laughs> and also, Trump is a former president. He's not a congressman. <laughs> Okay, let's get that. Uh, here we go. Yeah, you got Instead it. Instead of cutting them, or it's like Congressman Trump and Bo Bert want to do. Bo Bert. Bo Bert. I thought Bo Bert was a whole new person. Bo Bert. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, everything. Well, the thing is, they know the economy. I mean, I will say this now. You know, you might have had the bigger lie a couple of days ago when he said he. Inflation is down by 65%. Uh, right. And uh, wages are up. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time that he's telling uh, corporations to quit gouging the consumer and basically admitting in that action that prices are really high and are still going up for many things. And he's trying to claim, it's, but it's like Obama trying to claim, you know, the both. Listen, I was good. I was the best at protecting the environment when it came to drilling for oil. And also, I was responsible for the increase in the production of oil during my presidency. You know, they want it both ways. And just so you know that we're willing to put context to everything, mm-hmm. Fox had that story out there that uh, the the uh, the poll on uh, people having confidence in the presidency yeah. mm-hmm. is the lowest that it's 
ever been. Ever. Well, they started taking the poll in 2018. That context (laughs) probably is a little bit important. Well, (laughs) I was telling you during the pre-show meeting, uh, that's a good point. However, if you think back to 2018, that seems like forever ago. You know, it just (laughs) seems... five years ago. It it seems like a totally different... We were on a totally different planet. Now, I just need to put that in context so people don't think this is a... 50-year poll, yeah. but the fact is yeah. uh, he's lower than Trump. Yeah. And so that that's where the context is. But the other thing is his polling numbers are horrible. Yeah. yeah. And everybody knows it. Civics now, minus 21. Yep. Will we get to that minus, what was it, 28 that he had at one point or yeah. 27 that he had at one yeah. point? We and, might. I, and other polling, uh, I'll find it out there. There's just so many polls. Uh, another poll out there showed it's his, uh, I think, tied for the lowest ever. Yeah. So, and nothing's really going in the direction that he uh, that wants. And you can tell uh, two stories out there. CBS says economy better than government thought after reporting people need an extra $11,400 just to afford the basics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you had Car- uh, Serpent out there. I mean, excuse me, uh, James Carville. Mm-hmm. Um Democratic Party strategist James Carville and other experts claimed that voters stubbornly have a bad impression of President Biden's handling of the economy that will keep his polls low. Carville told uh, other uh, and others told Political that American people, uh, excuse me, the American voter seems to have made their judgment on the economy as poor, and that judgment is not budging. He blames the voters' wrong attitude uh-huh. on the okay. economy okay. Okay. for Biden's bad yeah. polling. Yeah, you guys need to get your attitude together. Yes. That's the problem. And then they do it again. Politicos, since we're doing fact-checking here, mm. which, again, that's that's the one thing. That's the big difference since I became a talk show host in 1989. Mm. That's the big difference, in in uh, I know, in what we do here where we become more fact-checkers than really debating the issues out there. Mm-hmm. Because you can't debate the issues when the opposition to your point of view is lying about what they think. Yeah, right. We do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, is, it is tougher. It's uh, tougher to, uh, to, to do that. But um, uh, they, know, they know what it is. You know, they know it's the economy. They, they know it's uh, uh, inflation. And like we said, the dynamics are different. Well, you have low unemployment. That's because we don't have extra workers anymore. Right. We just don't. We, uh, you know, we don't have it. Right. That's the problem. Yep. And 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 you could say this. Here's another thing that I could not say when I became a talk show host in 1989. Mm. You could not say, well, you know, there are just jobs that Americans won't do. Oh, if you said, if I said that back when I first became a talk well, show it, host, it, when people we, would go crazy. When we said it in 2005. Yeah. When we started together. Yep. yep. They were going crazy for years. Yeah. We get people, what are you talking about? We get people furious at oh, us yeah. for that. Now nobody debates that no. at all. No yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would never do that job. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> are you kidding me? No. Yeah, and uh, that's, you know, but but now you look at the economists that are going back and forth. Because you've got those that are saying, oh, definitely a recession. And then Bank of America, no, the Fed will lower the rates to give us a soft landing in 24. So you've got those two sides of it basically saying, because Bank of America is basically saying, and, and other economists that say, 
that believe the Fed will start to lower interest rates, I don't know, at, at some point in 24, after raising interest rates another maybe once or twice between now and then, then they're going to turn around and start lowering interest rates to keep us from a recession. But what they're saying is what the other economists are saying who don't believe necessarily that the Fed will do that, that uh, that we are headed for a recession. They're admitting that without that, that there would be a recession. And if we get into recession territory in the summer, I was thinking about Mayor Brandon and <laughs> oh, he did complaints. He did blame Lori Lightfoot, too. Okay. We, we, we'd said that yesterday. Well, that he, was bl- he was blaming the right wing for the problems of Chicago, which right. we had a lot of fun with. Yeah. But he also blamed Lightfoot, which he, he was handled a pile of crap from her. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, I mean, she's not going to get a, 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 a speaking slot at CPAC. But <laughs> I did think of, I, I thought of him yesterday when the news came out that <laughs> more immigrants from Texas were going there. I thought, OK, well, all right, all right, Governor Abbott, maybe. Um, <laughs> this is the problem, though, that he's going to have when the big DNC hits his town in the summer. You know, you, you there's only so much you can do to clean it up. I mean, ask San Francisco. Man, they had to put a bunch of homeless people and clean up the poop off the sidewalks, you know, uh, and and to just to get all of that out of the media's way. <laughs> Away for a couple of days. Can you imagine an entire week in Chicago? What they're going to have to do to clean that up for the DNC? The media is going to be everywhere. And, of course, the right-wing media is going to be everywhere reporting on it. There's no way to save that imaging. The only question is, does how does it motivate or does it motivate at all voters to do something different? Are we actually seeing a turn? Are we actually seeing more people that are saying there's no way I can fight? You know, we the uh, the the one uh, Black Lives Matter founder and uh, uh, the former liberal. I don't know if he's still a liberal. Uh, Michael Rappaport and these kind of people, you know, that are liberals and say, no, I'm going to vote. If it comes down to uh, Biden or Trump, I'm voting Trump. Is, is that just a you know, are, is that just a drop in the bucket? Is that not the trend or is that? indicative of a trend where many people are saying on the left no i can't keep voting for this kind of garbage and only time will tell what we're seeing in the polls with you know the the civics polling that's real and it started after october the recent drop started after october 7th but i do think there's other things that are going on you know, they see it and they're, they're like, okay, things aren't getting better. You know, it's this is typically the time of the year. You and I have been doing this a long time. Typically, the time of year where people can, all right, look, I can, I can uh, push away from the table here and not have to pay attention to all of the world's problems as I go through the Christmas season. But guess what? Christmas season is much more expensive. And while people are using credit cards more and still spending that's only going to last for a certain amount of time. And we're at record individual uh, credit card debt. Is that a record high? Well, CNN actually had an article on that. Mm. So there's almost agreement across the board 
that the reason that the uh, economy is doing okay is because people are tapping into their credit cards yeah. big time. Yeah. But one, and, and we had said this before when we said, okay, when the GDP numbers uh, first came out last month that showed a, 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 a very good third quarter mm. that, you know, it's not COVID money anymore. It's people are borrowing big time. Mm-hmm. And we had said it at the time. One of the reasons is, is because everybody can have a job. But yeah. it doesn't mean you feel right. good about it. Right. Look, just just this week, you know, I've I've <laughs> on my old vehicle, I probably will have to get a bill of fifteen or seventeen hundred bucks. Now I'm going to put it on my credit card bill. Now I don't pay monthly; I always pay it off. Mm-hmm. But when I saw it, I went, oh. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking yeah. to myself, but I buy, I buy everything on a credit card to get airline miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it was last year I got three free flights. Mm-hmm. So I everything goes on the credit card. Now I pay it, you know, the balance off every month. These people that are borrowing right now, so many of them are not. No, you push and, it to the limit right, and make the minimum payment. Right, and there's and so there's going to be a there's going to be a limit there once that stops happening. And you have to pay it off every single month and then you realize I'm not getting anywhere so you make more payments. That's going to be less cash going into the economy. Yep. And and so, uh, again, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's it's just a mess. But you've got, for example, the the it seems as if the consensus now from the Democrats and the liberal media is the fact of, OK, we've got to start talking about the fact that the economy is great and the people out there are clueless about right. what a great economy right. they have. Right. That is, it hasn't worked. It's not going to work. And gaslighting about it, as the president now does, and Corrine Jean-Pierre, every single day. And just so you know, gaslighting is more than a lie. Gaslighting is when you lie and everybody knows you're lying. You know you're lying. The people, the press that's there knows you're lying. <laughs> The people watching it know that you're lying. You know that everybody else knows that you're lying, and you just continue it. That's the difference between a lie and... And, and you're pretending and that gaslighting. And, and you're yes. trying to make people feel right. stupid right. for not seeing your false version of the truth. Right. And that's, that is the, that's the cherry on top that makes it the definition of gaslighting. Right. You want to embarrass people... For not buying into the lie. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for finishing my yeah. statement there. I have it's, slight pause. <laughs> it's, you know, it is the, it, it is the reality though. And it's probably their only play. It's probably, in fact, I would have told them, don't send the president out to tell corporations to quit gouging. Cause when you do that, you're admitting prices are too high. Yeah. When he's claiming that inflation's down 65%, because that lie, of inflation dropping 65% is to imply that prices are coming down. Well, he's trying to have it both ways. Exactly. He's saying that inflation is coming down drastically, and if you're upset because prices are still too high, it's not his fault, yeah. it's the company's fault. Exactly. Right? exactly. And, so. you, and you can't you can't play that politically. It's not Look, you can't play it politically on this lie anyway. No, you can't. You can't because it's not in the abstract. People are spending their own money every day they see the prices. 
Well, the liberal media came out. You need $11,400 more just for the basics. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and then CBS, it was a great thing about the CBS report, but the economy's doing really good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because like, people are spending on credit cards. That can only last for so long. And we had said a long time ago, we don't like the way that they figure out GDP, because really, right. when you think about it, what really drives an economy is the increase in the amount of goods and services that you produce as a nation. That, right. that is, in right. essence, what gives, you know, in, in the free market, that is, in essence, what gives the dollar its, uh, its, its value because right. the, the dollar is traded on the free market. Yep. And so the market decides what the value of the dollar is based on the goods and services that you produce. As we know, uh, too much of the GDP is based on just the movement of money yeah. or based on government spending, which is not involved in producing goods and services that make you more productive and increase wealth. And a lot of the and things the that problem. people are spending and using their credit cards on aren't like the durable goods that we buy this time of year. And I know that because of the trucking recession that's been going on for quite some time and it's going to go on well past 2024, likely. We're not buying those things, those, you know, because you can spend your money on a on baseball tickets or concert tickets, mm-hmm. or you can do an improvement to your home. One lets you kind of retain something of wealth. Oh, well, right. And then the other has you walking away going, that was a great show. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's why we went after the whole the whole Taylor Swift thing, how you know great, how much she's helping an economy. And we went, no, those are entertainment no, dollars. Exactly, it's not the same thing. Right, exactly. You know, it's like it's like building a stadium for a sports team versus you know if you give if you give uh, uh, tax breaks to build a stadium or you subsidize a stadium or a casino in Dallas for the Mavericks. Right. <laughs> no, no, you're, no, you're right. That's that's not the same as building. Right. Uh, you know, giving subsidies for an automobile plant that actually right. is producing products that are being sold worldwide right. and actually creating new wealth and therefore bringing new dollars in. Right. 866-90-RED-EYE. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Cold temperatures and water can lead to only one outcome, and ice has no place in a truck's air system. That's why it's absolutely crucial to keep your air system moisture-free as temperatures begin to drop. If a vehicle didn't have an air dryer, the air system would be filled with that water, which can lead to dangerous and costly premature brake failures. To add insult to injury, if it's cold enough, that liquid will freeze, threatening air supply to various systems, including the transmission and suspension. Ice in the air system can also disable the compressor, for example, along with any of the air valves in the system. Make sure your air system is in top condition before plunging temperatures. Put it to the test. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. 
With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting how uh, you've got now. That seems to be where they're going to be. Now, we know that the the White House has been gaslighting on the economy consistently Mm. for months. I can't even tell you when they started doing it because they've been doing it for the longest uh, uh, time, even in the article where they... Talk about uh, uh, James Carvel and, and, and others uh, that were uh, talking to, a, 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 you know, a Politico um, when they're blaming also uh, the the voter again for having uh, the wrong attitude. I think the interesting thing is you don't have like Car- Carvel probably two months ago was saying it's the inflation, stupid. Say it's the inflation. Now he's moved to saying it is the voter. And you've got, you know, the CBS story talking where they talked about 11,000, you know, over 11,000 bucks. Uh, you need extra just for the necessities, but the economy's still great. You see that they've made their decision of where they're going to go. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. Yep. Can't believe it's that much. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot. 70%. Jeez. I don't know. I'll think about it. So $11,400 to afford the basics. Yeah. 11400 more. Yeah. Per, uh, per year. CBS News is offering mixed messages with two reports from Fox mm-hmm. offering a sunny and gloomy take about the state of the U.S. economy on Wednesday morning. CBS News ran the headline, Americans need an extra $11,400 today. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a year. You need it right now just to afford the basics. Telling readers the typical American household must spend an additional just to maintain the same standard of living they enjoyed in January of 21, right before inflation soared. 
to 40-year highs, according to recent analysis from government data. Well, they're not saying per day, right, or per month. Okay, they said, okay, they, they, they put it there. They said Americans, quote, Americans need an extra $11,400 today yeah, in, just to afford the basics. With inflation but, the way it is today. Yeah, but that's, right, yeah. What, right, you need it You need it today for this year. Okay. Right, so yeah. So it's $11,400 a year. Right. A year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's when they say, to, but if you started today, you would need that now. Listen, I could use was, another 11400 per day. Yes. You know, if anybody's thinking about it. Mark Cuban's going to have some extra cash here soon, so listen. And and I got to give got to give him credit. They did this, although mm-hmm. inflation quote and although inflation is cooling, many consumers may not be feeling uh, much. Now it's not inflation; it's right. the inflation rate. Right. Mm-hmm. Although uh, inflation is cooling, many consumers may not be feeling much relief because most prices are not declining. Exactly, consumers are still paying more, just at a slower rate. Yeah. See, that's the slap in the a face. S- slower pace. Yeah, that's the slap in the face that that the consumer feels by the liberal media, by this administration, and everybody that keeps saying, see, inflation is cooling. Inflation is dropping. I decreased inflation. I brought inflation down 65%. That's a slap in the face when they're still paying more and more for most everything they're buying. Uh, and so the full thing that they said was at a slower pace on top of the higher prices yeah. that were locked in when the price hike surged in 2022 and earlier this year. Way to go. So doing exactly what we have said. And then they ran the fact that a report from the Associated Press that said the U.S. economy is doing even better than the government thought. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's where and you and I had said this when they had changed the way that they do the GDP over a decade ago. We didn't like it right. because they counted more the movement of money than actually the uh, you know money that is used to produce goods and services. You know, you looked at the the, uh, the 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 GDP this year, and the question is, how much did the United States producing military equipment and things for Ukraine and now Israel? How much does that? How much does that affect the GDP? Because government spending. Is a dollar taking out of every every dollar that is taken from the taxpayers that the government uses is not in productive purposes. Yeah. And right. and so, you know, you can look at it and say, yeah, but some things that government do, for example, if you build when you first built the interstate uh, transportation system, all the interstates, mm-hmm. when that was built, you could say yes, because that made the United States more efficient and productive if you use federal dollars now to repair those roads that's just keeping pace right and and so it's not money in the 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 reason that banks will pay you and and uh you know will will pay you interest is because they invest that and they make more on your money than you can and give you a part of it back Mm mm-hmm they're using your money to make more money, but the only way they can do it is if it's used in productive purposes. And that's the thing. And I noticed this last week or so we've been talking more about the economy than we have in a long time, just economic principles. We spent a significant portion of yesterday's show talking about that because I think it's important. I think it's, you know, that we're, we're sold, 
we're always sold uh, a, a bill of goods and and we have consistent line about uh, how the economy works. You get that from government constantly. Yeah. And, you know, when you see that and it's repeated in the liberal media over and over again every day and you're having to deal with, you know, the fact that you actually need another eleven thousand four hundred dollars a year to to make ends meet, to, to buy the same things. It's a real slap in the face. You come away with this. Who do they think they're talking to? Why are they trying to sell something that isn't true? And then well, they- it's been going on for a long time, except they've been trying to sell things, you know, in the past that are in the abstract. And this is the harsh reality. Then they talk about shrugging off higher interest rates. American consumers spend enough to help drive the economy to a 5.2% annual pace. It's supposed to go down in the fourth quarter. Mm. But then CNN, because right here, because that was CBS and now CNN, the holiday spending spree is fueled by buy now, pay later shoppers. Yep. Yep. And you see a lot of, anecdotally, I've seen it, but and this has happened over the last few years. Um, but these other third party, not just credit cards, but other third party uh, finance companies that say, hey, you can uh, pay this off, basically, um, and we'll extend you some credit. And it's not maybe not as much as a credit card would, but you can use this at these retailers. And that's where we are. And January and February is going to be a harsh reality. And and that's where, when we mentioned uh, the uh, uh, late uh, economic writer uh, Harry Hazlitt yesterday, that we that we quoted, who uh, in his book, oh, what is it? Uh, economics I was economics in one lesson, I believe it was, that he wrote yeah. <laughs> decades upon decades upon decades ago. And one of the points that he brought up is, you know, so much of what the government does is tell you how, you know how spending this money is going to help the people who get the money and they never talk about all the consequences of doing that. Mm. And if you bring it up, you deny it. And as you said, in economics, you have to look at everything across the board. For example, in the GDP that that relies more than it used to on just the transfer of money, well, if you're saying the government spent, because they look at that as one of the reasons that the GDP uh, has done well is because of the amount of money that government over the last couple of years have put into uh, the economy, that a significant portion of that is borrowed and interest is going to be paid on that for decades upon decades upon decades upon decades that will take the original money is not used for productive purposes. And then the interest paid the trillion dollars right now that we have just in interest is not again being spent on productive purposes in the private sector, but just using to service debt. And that's never figured in to the economic data that the government gives to the people. All right. Because it's pretty hard to figure that one out. Right. It's really easy to say we spent this money it had, and so we we're going to come up with the algorithm or figure that this is the result of that. Mm. 
and you're actually not getting the truth. As we've said, we've always believed a great, uh, a much better indicator is the production of goods and services. Yeah. Right. You know, what are we producing? What is the increase in goods and services is a much better way because the economy and the dollar is based on the amount of goods and services produced in an economy. That is not judged by the government. Right. That's judged in the internet, uh, uh, the International Monetary Exchange, mm-hmm. where we trade dollars for other currency. That's where it's judged. So it's being judged in the private sector, uh, which, again, I'm not saying that the private sector can't have perceptions into it because you can see the perceptions into the stock market. But long term, it has to deliver. Right. Yeah. It's not just, you know, again, uh, we, we talked about when they changed the GDP um, and, and measuring the GDP. It's one thing to talk about, OK. They invested and they bought this. They, you know, they they expanded their facility or, or they did this. You are right. you are spending money, and that has a real effect. But then they were also factoring in what that meant in the future plans for that company because it doesn't necessarily turn into a return for that company. And I've always been of the mindset that you should monitor the return. Who they bought the equipment from, that's very real. Yes, that, that is company real. Yes. is selling something. Right. But then adding to it and saying, well, this company uh, is planning on essentially, you know, with this investment, they're seeing that. You, you can look in a forecast. You can say, all right, that looks positive. We look at the uh, Q3 GDP. Driven by the consumer, the revision came out yesterday. It was it ticked a little higher. It went from four point nine to five point two. But here's the thing: it's consumer driven. When you look at retail, when when retail makes that investment, that means that okay, they believe the consumer is going to come back. We believe that demand is going to sustain over the next three to four months. It's not just going to be between now and December 25th. And the other thing that we've always questioned is the fact that if I buy something and I buy it from China, is that something that's boosting the American economy or is it boosting the Chinese economy, yet it gets credit to boosting the American economy? Mm-hmm. Right. right. Because that's consumer-driven spending at right. that point. Right. And And that's why, again... We What we look for all the time on the show is we look for intellectual honesty. And you know, and we've talked about, you know, like the whole thing with, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, convenience fees and, you know, when, uh, you know, for, for uh, you know, um, uh, where was I going on that? Uh, now I sound like Biden. <laughs> trying to figure where I was going. Um, something to say about the convenience, uh, the convenience fees, but. Well, there are certain things that you can measure and say, all right, this has a real effect, and and that would be the ripple effect on the economy. There are certain there are certain spending habits of the collective of the consumer where you show, okay, this is a positive because they're buying these types of goods. They're buying this. When 
like we were talking earlier, when people are spending on concerts. Oh, that, that's spending, where I was going. Yeah, the you know, concert tickets, sporting events. Yeah, you know the that the great debate on you know that you hear all the time, and uh, you know when when they want to use taxpayer money right. to build stadiums, right. and they talk about the economic benefit that it gives to a well, this is gonna this is gonna drive an economic benefit of this. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's entertainment dollars. Right. You're not actually producing a good or service. And we say services because services, when you have services out there, they make the economy more productive and efficient. Right. And productivity is a key. Right. Productivity is a key to uh, economic health. But when you build a stadium, you're simply using entertainment dollars. Mm-hmm. And and so when you look, so you look at it that way, then you look at, okay, what should we be counting? We've always gone back to Whatever the nation is producing, goods and service-wise, should be how you judge an economy because that is the thing that gives the wealth to the dollar. And the wealth of a nation is actually, which is the increase in producing goods and services, I believe is actually the best key indicator of how your economy is doing, not a GDP. Right. And so we, um, you know, that's that's the entire thing. Oh, I know, and the other place I was going... Uh, with the uh, with the uh, uh, convenience fees is the fact of, well, we want to make things more transparent. You and I always laughed about that because one of the things that really used to tick off people when they got airline tickets is the fact that you would get that price from the airlines and then the final price would be much higher mm-hmm. and then they would lay it out. Okay, here's why it's higher. Here are all the fees. Mm-hmm. And all the fees, <laughs> the vast majority of the fees are the federal government. Right. And so when they said they wanted more transparency, so the airlines must put the final number on there, we we said, well, no, what they're trying to do is they're doing the opposite of transparency. They're trying to hide it. Right. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, making college more useless. See the few of these colleges are going to yeah. have Taylor Swift courses. <laughs> That'll get you a job somewhere. Top of the hour news is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This 
is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you for being here. All right. We're almost out of November. We're almost to December. (laughs) I give up. (laughs) It's just because Thanksgiving was a week ago. That's crazy. I know. All right, something that you and I had talked about a couple of weeks ago, and we said, these people are blowing smoke. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. And it was, remember, the loneliness the loneliness study that people are uh, more lonely today. All right. And uh, I I just happened to uh, see this. was going through Newsbusters, and Newsbusters are the group of people that have the hardest job on the planet. Well, I don't know if it's the hardest. The most frustrating, maybe. Hardest and frustrating. There are days that I would not be able to do it. Yeah, because uh, what what they do is they uh, they watch the liberal media all day. <laughs> yeah, I mean they have to pretty much monitor all of it. Right, I couldn't do that. But John Stossel had a column in it. It relates to when we were just said they're blowing smoke on this whole loneliness. They have no mm-hmm. idea, mm-hmm. and he starts talking about how now the liberal media is trying to associate loneliness with capitalism. Yeah. And let me just read a couple of uh, sentences here because it's really good. You must be lonely. The media says loneliness is everywhere in America. A Los Angeles Times columnist says there's a mass loneliness crisis going on. Vox claims capitalism makes us feel empty inside. (laughs) Jacobin Magazine, capitalism is making you lonely. Uh As usual, the media gets it wrong. Historian Johan Norberg points out there's no, zero empirical data that actually shows that we feel more lonely now than we did in the past. When researchers compare people with previous generations at the same stage of life, they don't find any evidence of increased loneliness. And then Stossel, you know, just even on the column, plays his whole devil advocacy as he does. Mm -hmm. Right. But more people live alone right now, I say. I would think that would make people lonelier. I felt like I was Stossel just Mm -hmm. saying that. Uh, uh, Norberg replies, a historian, what they never tell you in the reports is that people who live alone and spend less time surrounded by other people, are actually more happier with those relationships. In addition, when people around the world are asked, do you have relatives or friends that you can count on, people in countries like America, more capitalist, where more people live alone, usually say yes, but in India and China, More people say they have nobody. It's a complete opposite of what people expect, Norberg says. In less market-based societies, 20 to 40% say they have no one to count on if they need help. In the richest and most individualistic societies, it's in the low single digits. Uh, on a YouTube channel with 1.7 million, uh, 1.7 million subscribers, a socialist says material incentives of capitalists isolate us 
from nature, each other, and ourselves. Norberg replies, the historian, I understand why those charlatans get an audience, because at times we all feel lonely. But in his book, The Capitalist Manifesto, he points out how capitalism makes life better, including making people less lonely. Every single poll shows that people say they are less lonely in the most market-oriented societies. And then Stossel writes, I push back. Well, under capitalism, people compete. Sounds divisive. Mm. Sounds like it would pull us apart. Mm -hmm. Norberg replies, no. Feudalism, communism, fascism, that's divisive. All are based on getting resources by taking them from somebody else. Capitalism forces us to think. What does the other guy want? The most important aspect of capitalism, something that you and I have talked about many times before, Mm -hmm. is cooperation. Yep. You know, it's even why Saudi Arabia and the crown prince for Mm -hmm. the longest time has said we have to diversify, knowing that the United States, if we want to, we have more energy than anybody else. We could just, you know, it's like we have to diversify, and by diversifying, we have to accept other cultures. There has to be a cultural shift. Otherwise, right. you won't have that voluntary cooperation. You have to, and that's what happens. You actually want to know because you're servicing them. Yep. And they said, uh, uh, he goes, capitalism forces us to think. What does the other guy want? The most important aspect of capitalism is cooperation. It's why every time you buy something, you hear this twice. Thank you. It's true, yet kind of odd. When I pay, both the salesperson and I usually say thank you. It's because I get the product I want and they get my money. I want their product more than the money. They want my money more than whatever they are selling. We both feel we win. In a market economy, we do each other services constantly. That's how we get richer. No deal ever happens unless both parties think they benefit. Here's another twist to that. Capitalism makes us more generous. It sounds surprising, but for many years, lots of researchers around the world have looked at how generous people are when they are playing uh, uh, different economic games. In one such game, the experimenter gives a person a sum of money and tells them to divide it with the stranger any way they choose. The only condition, the stranger must accept the offer. If the other person refuses, nobody gets anything. In capitalist economies, writes Norberg, the most common offer is to split the amount 50-50. The recipient is so offended by bad offers that they usually say no if offered less than 30%. Researchers have done this test all over the world, and to their surprise, they discovered people are most generous in capitalist societies. In fact, on average, they offer twice as much as those in the least capitalist societies. Hmm. The closer people live to marketplaces, the more generous they are, says Norberg. If they constantly buy and sell and negotiate, they begin to take other people's interest into consideration. 
That's what markets do. They do affect our character, but not in this way that the critics say. They don't make us more divisive and aggressive. They make us more generous. Fascinating. Well, and because we understand the benefit of that voluntary cooperation, you know, not just the immediate benefit of, hey, I want to exchange my dollar for this good or service, but also the fact that it's ongoing and available pretty much anytime we want it. We understand what it requires to participate. And it's not that hard. We go to work, we get money in exchange for our time and efforts at that job. We take that money into the marketplace. The marketplace is always willing and open to selling you whatever you want if you're willing to pay the price for it. That kind of, again, mindset changes uh, how you think. And how many generations do we have now? Think about this. We talked about uh, recently the um, house spending really ramped up and there's a fascinating uh, documentary, uh, probably more than one, that demonstrate that in the 80s, when you had the expansion of, like, malls in America, for those under the age of 40, a mall was a large building that had a bunch of stores in it. <laughs> and so with that, we also saw the expansion of credit lines and new types of credit lines for um Certain retailers, they were retailer specific. So you could get a department store credit line and people went shopping like crazy. And you can argue, well, that doesn't make you happy. That's not happiness. Well, but when it's done right, when you talk about the expansion of wealth, you can say, well, the material things don't make you happy. It's not the material things really that that make you happy. It's knowing that you're part of a of capitalism in the way that you go there, your boss is willing to pay you for your time and efforts, you take that money into the marketplace and look at all the things you can get. Generations before us didn't have the kind of access we have. Look at what we have available to us now. If we get on Amazon and they say, it's going to take three days to get there, we're angry. Three days? I need it on my porch by the end of the day. I actually had a retailer, uh, uh, another retailer, and I went online and said, we can deliver that today. And they didn't deliver it that day. It wasn't something that I needed that day, but I chose it because it was going to get there that day and I could get it off of my list of things to do. Well, it took till the following day. And I'm like, what is going on here? I need my, and I didn't actually need my stuff, but they made a promise. Part of that cooperative, uh, cooperative agreement, you know, and that's part of it where we now have a system where you can go, I want, boom, Wall Street Journal did a, a great video. Basically, it was it was based on the supply chain, but they use a phone charger. Man, I want this phone charger. Well, the phone charger is coming from China. Now, that particular phone charger is sitting in a warehouse in your somewhere in your region, and that's how it gets there so quickly. Because they anticipate the demand. They know the demand based on past purchases, not just from you, but others. But you think about that idea of going, I want a charger, a phone charger, cheap. 
and on my porch by morning. And you get it. All the things you can get, you know, that are available to you where, I mean, you know, in our generation, it was all brick and mortar. Okay, I guess I got to get dressed and go search. You had to go, well, this place is out of phone chargers. Now I got to go to another place. Now I got to go to another place. And it is, you know, what we have available to us in terms of commerce with e-commerce. I mean, it's it's changing drastically. Entertainment, the same thing. Mark Cuban was talking about it when he spoke up about uh, the sale of the Dallas Mavericks. And he said, look, things are changing with sports. You know, people are moving away from TV. He said, sports, they still, you know, are, are there, but they're moving away from TV in big numbers. And if we, if they, if people don't have access to like cable channels because they don't get cable and they don't pay for cable anymore, you know, things are changing. So the money is changing in sports. And he brought that up specifically. No, that's a great point that, that we you, didn't discuss you yesterday. Know, and, and it's something that, yeah, we, and, and I hadn't considered, but it is, we have talked about it and, you know, regarding basically in general, how people are consuming certain things when it comes to entertainment. Um, but, and sports is changing. I mean, Amazon now has, uh, I don't know, uh, what do they have? One or two football games a week or whatever it is. The streaming is, is still there. The, you know, the, uh, ESPN plus or whatever they're doing. Uh, the streaming is coming about, but it's not happening with big money the way it did when networks were the only place you could see those games or even cable. And, and so, you know, but, the, the point is, is that we, we kind of drive that. We decide, okay, I'm not paying for 200 channels. It's not worth it. Uh, I'd rather stream. I'd rather go get my entertainment when I want it. It's sitting there on Netflix or whatever, and I can go watch it whenever. And that changes the dynamics of, uh, of a number of things, you know, in the marketplace. But that's what we have available to us. Uh, the old saying, the customer's always right. You can scoff at that, but the customer leads, the consumer leads that demand. And so if you want to define happiness, you know, you can say, well, I'm unhappy. And there may be people that are unhappy, but capitalism is not the cause of it. And it is not the cause of loneliness, It is of not. increased loneliness. No. That is some intense propaganda. Yeah, you got to go a long now. way to try and sell that. Yeah. 86690 Red Eye. Brought to you by FPPF. Fuel Power Max. Most owner-operators leased to larger carriers are paid on a per-mile basis or a percentage of revenue per load. The per-mile basis is most prevalent among larger fleets. Percentage at smaller. Pay per mile tends to dominate discussions about pay just because it's easier to measure. And pay per mile often is wrongly used as the deciding factor in leasing to a carrier. While pay per mile can be a vital factor, it's not a cure for every ill. Nor does it mean a big settlement check is coming an owner-operator's way. Why? Because pay-per-mile always must be considered in balance with gross revenue as well as total costs. Gross revenue can include flat mileage pay, mileage pay that varies by length of haul, percentage revenue pay, and more. Most importantly, though, for every revenue dollar generated, only part of that dollar is profit. But for every extra dollar of cost saved, the entire dollar contributes to profit. Knowing and understanding your cost to operate is fundamental to understanding the true value of any pay package. Brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. 
Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, and, and so we had talked about the loneliness study a few weeks ago. There was a loneliness study out. We just said, they don't know what they're talking about. But interesting, the whole John Stossel thing about how actually the all the studies show, every single one shows that the more capitalist the country is, the less lonely you are. Mm. And And I think about it, and I think probably one of the reasons is there's a sense of purpose. People that have a sense of purpose in life, I believe, are happier. If you're sure. waiting for somebody else to save you, well, then somebody else controls your life. Mm-hmm. You don't have a sense of purpose. Right. Uh, I, I think about, you know, when, uh, and, and we've talked about this a lot, you know, growing up in the United States and, and when we did. And the fact is, you know, again, this came more from my parents than anyone else, especially my father, who was always wanting to talk politics. And when I was growing up, there was great interest in during the Cold War in the Soviet Union. You wanted to know why they were our enemy. What is the difference between us and them? Mm-hmm. And when you, as my father did, you know, took me through the Constitution at a very young age and very simply, you know, probably like we do, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of press. Uh, freedom of association. Mm-hmm. Everything was about the fact that what I was taught is you can do the things that you want uh, in a in, in, in a free society, but also understanding that there were people that fought and died for you to have that. So there was a sense of being grateful for being in a society that you knew that people would sacrifice their life. Yeah. And you might have to in the future, but the fact is, that the freedom was worth it. Then when you get to make a ton of choices and then when you get into business and industry uh, and the more that you're in it, because we always find it interesting that the people that say that capitalism doesn't work are the people that really haven't been involved. I, at least anecdotally, many people that I know in industry, a lot of them are in government. Yeah. But the people, the, the people that seem to be, the most capitalist are the people that have zero security. Salespeople. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more coming up. Mm. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios, and he's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, welcome and uh, and good morning. Talking about and and we did this. It was a couple weeks ago. It was in the last month 
that we had talked about the study out there talking about happy or you know happiness and loneliness and mm. everything else and we just went eh, it's all bogus and you and I've always stated that those surveys around the world that the most the socialist countries are the happiest and it's like yeah. well all defense how you define happiness if happiness is the fact that somebody takes care of me well that's not happiness to me mm-hmm. you know long term happiness to me is being being productive and having another challenge in front of me you know and of course i'm talking about you know love of family and all that that you know that if you say that's equal across the board that everybody loves their family and you know that brings you happiness and you may not be as lonely whatever mm. okay fine but what they find out is uh, in the, the 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 studies taken that actually it's people that live in less rich capitalist countries that do not live in them that feel that they have nobody to depend on. And I was just making the statement that I really find it interesting that some of the most the some of the most uh passionate supporters of 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 capitalism uh and the system that you know we live under here in the United States are and I want to make sure I say this successful salespeople. I mean it's tough. But the successful salespeople, when if you look at it, there is no security. And I found that out, you know, throughout my life, that the people that seem to have the least security in their profession, if they're successful at it, they seem to be some of the people that promote capitalism and are really happy people and embrace life every day because you have to be aggressive every day. Otherwise, you're not going to be a successful salesperson. Mm-hmm. So that's built into you. But they have the least security. Yet they are the ones that are the biggest promoters of capitalism. And why might that be? Because what they can gain, they view, is a lot greater than if you work a regular job that has 3% cost of living raises every year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because you're much, and you think about it, as a salesperson, you're much more alone. You know, you have to do it. You can't depend on anybody else. You've got to make the sale. It's an, it's more of a alone job. And therefore, I believe that people that conquer those mountains and realize there's more potential and they're the ones that, you know, can determine that potential that they actually believe more in capitalism and are some of the least loneliest people, at least that I know, because all of my real great friends, my closest friends, all are in sales. Hmm. And I'm, you know, I've never been, I, you know, I've just never been a depressed person. I mean, I just, there's no, I'm happy all the time. I get this from people constantly. Don't you ever get sad? (laughs) I've been, a lot of women ask me that or tell me, you know, you're never, you never really get into a mood. Now, I might sit there and have a frustration and go, ah, five minutes later, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And so you recognize that. And I think like people tend to become lifelong friends. You share the same, you know, you share the same type of values. And all my best friends were in sales, all of them. And they all challenge the world each and every day. And they're the biggest promoters of capitalism and democracy the biggest and then you look at the people that want 
the security, you know, that promote all the time, the anger that you see, because that would be a question. Why do conservatives seem to be, in general, less angry than liberals? Why is there this rage? I've always thought because when you're a conservative, if you're a true conservative, you're not blaming anybody else. You're not looking for government to be, you're not depending on anybody else and being disappointed by anybody else because you have the philosophy, I've got to do it on my own. And I do think that that's part of the difference when they talk about, you know, whatever whatever the concept of, you know, of, of happiness and loneliness is, you see the people that are productive. And I also think that most people, not all, but most people, that being productive in life and work is part of being productive in life. It's not the only thing that you can be productive in. There's a lot of other things that you can do. You can you could play a musical instrument. You could get better at that every day. You can become a great golfer. I don't think that's going to happen for me. Huh? I'm, I'm so depressed and so yeah. unhappy about that. But there's always that, you know, the, if you're somebody who always looks for the next challenge. And my dad told me that one time. Because my dad always has always been, you know, basically a happy and, and optimistic person. And in the conversations that I've had, I remember him just saying, I, I'm too busy to be anything else. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. When you're busy and you're doing things and you're being productive, you don't have a chance to be lonely. Yeah. Because right. you've always got something else on your plate that you don't necessarily have to accomplish but you want to accomplish because you have a yeah, choice on jobs right. that you want to do Yeah, in this day and age. And there are still salespeople out there, but they're out there. Why? Because they see the potential for wealth, which is not, again, you and I've talked about this with capitalism. It's now I'm not searching for wealth or money in order to buy material goods. I want that opportunity, which again, in a democracy, I have the opportunity like, Nowhere else, I believe, to be able to reach and get that, and then I can determine where I go in life. That's, that's very, that's that very empowering. That's very empowering. That's the that. key: is that if you are able to be successful, it allows you to make the choices, and you don't have to surrender to whatever happens. In fact, in the market, if we get into a recession and you lose your job, but if you've got money in savings. You have more options. These are the things where capitalism comes into play and capitalism provides, if you're doing it right, it also requires that you live beneath your means, mm -hmm. that you not extend yourself and and over leverage yourself in terms of borrowing. And, you know, those are the things because if liberals are trying to tell you, if the liberal media is trying to tell you, well, people are happier in socialist countries let's let's take a look at that because in socialist nations this idea well it's going to be there for me it's going to be there for me but what have we seen remember several years ago when france said yeah uh, when it comes to benefits we're going to have to start cutting them and the younger people rioted because they realized they were going to be greatly affected later in life they weren't going to get what previous generations got because France was running out of other people's money. They can only go so far. 
And then you have to start rationing. You have to start making those cuts. And we've talked about Medicare for all, that whole garbage plan, <laughs> when we can't do some Medicare for some. After they've paid in their whole lives. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 these are the things that, that you look at. So, you know, there actually is scientific data shows that you get your brain actually feels reward when you accomplish something. So when you talk about work, when you talk about going in and being able to do something, that's one of the things with sales is that, you know, you got to knock on a thousand doors to get a couple of, yes. you know, buys. That's something that's required. And I've done it. And those are the things that, you know, and it, it, it takes a certain type of person to be successful in that way because you're not sitting there like at a storefront where there still can be sales within that type of uh, 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 business. But you're going out, if you're talking about going out and knocking on people's doors, cold calling is tremendously hard. And it is often not rewarding because you get mostly no. Well, when you accomplish it and then you start realizing, okay, how do I get better at this? What, you know, okay, product knowledge has to be there. Uh, Then I have to extend my reach. I have to do all of these things. Then you start getting good at it. And it, it only comes with time. And and then I, I think about uh, one of my closest friends who, uh, you know, was in sales his entire life and sold an industry, uh, Caterpillar Generators. Mm-hmm. And what did his satisfaction come from? Not necessarily the support that he got from management but the trust of people that would buy from him because they know they knew he'd be there when there was a problem. Mm-hmm. And so you get that repeat business and then the buzz goes around. So in the beginning you're knocking on so many doors and getting nothing and still you're knocking on doors, but you've built up, you've built up a group of customers who love what you do and trust you for what you do and will buy and sometimes will actually pay more because they know that you as the salesperson will be there for them for service and warranty, whatever, that you've built that credibility. So you've built your own mountain in mm-hmm. essence. Mm-hmm. You've created it as you're still knocking on doors. There's a tremendous amount of satisfaction. The other thing is when you talk about capitalism, you and I have always said, that the left has succeeded in perverting what greed is. Mm-hmm. Greed is not capitalism. The fact right. that people wanting to get money, because most people that are that are extremely rich, if you see them, you know, talk about Mark Cuban. Is Mark Cuban sitting on a beach doing nothing? No, he's always working. They're always working. Money was never the goal. They've got the money. That wasn't the goal. And what do they do with that money? They put it into productive purposes. What you, what you, you know, which is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. To me, we've always stated this: greed is the entitlement mentality that you owe me something. You think about it. You think about what liberals have promoted. You know, Bernie Sanders. Remember, uh, college people can't make it because there's billionaires. You're creating jealousy and envy to help create that emotion of greed that I, 
I am owed something by that person. That person owes me something. If you go through life with that philosophy, you're not a happy person. Well, and and that's it. The you know the far left buys into this delusional thought over and over again. When reality hits, I guarantee you it's maddening. When you've been buying into it, and also working as a surrogate to sell it to others. You've invested heavily into these delusional ideas. And then it comes back at you and you're angry. I understand why you'd be angry. But the angry should the anger should be directed at yourself for buying into it. You know, I, I said to you during a break earlier, man, we're so doomed, which I've said a, a number of times over the years. But people are handing in their critical thinking cards. You're capable of critical thinking when you do it and you apply it and you learn. It is something that gives you great liberty. It is really satisfying when you realize, you know what, I can think this through and it doesn't have to be this. But when you're just willing to just lay it down, hand it in and go along with the mob on this delusional thought, expect to be disappointed greatly a number of times. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following the top of uh, the hour, why we might not be doomed. Oh, we're doomed. Coming up. You'll want to hear the story. It's a, All right. Uh, when I read it yesterday, I went, oh, wow. It makes you emotional just uh, just uh, reading it. So mm-hmm. we will get uh, to uh, uh, that. Uh, Hunter Biden. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just... This is this is going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of months. It really, really is. Did you see that the Republicans may have an official vote for an impeachment inquiry, which means if they're promoting that out, if they're not, if they're promoting this and leaking this and they don't have the votes, they're idiots. Well, we said it uh, back when remember when Nancy was saying uh, no impeachment, no impeachment. And all of a sudden there was an impeachment, you know, with, which she started talking about impeachment for trump and we said you can't promise liberals something and not follow through well, the same thing goes with the gop don't float something out there you're not going to follow through on yeah and it be, don't make that kind of political promise and not do it right it's, it's especially not, right. after everything that's right that's gone on it's not an impeachment they just right. want to do the right. vote right but you got it right anything you float you better be able to walk through This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. Now, it's Red Eye Radio 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for being here. See the story of that kid who's a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Yeah. The Native American and and, uh, dressed up as a Native American and the liberal media called him out as being a racist because he's in blackface. They said, no, he's a Native American dressing as a Native American. Well, they and and they showed the liberal media initially showed him with only one side of his face because he was turned right, and so they said he's in blackface. This kid has been attending these games, and he paints half of his face red, half of his face black, and he wears a native headdress to the games. And the liberal media wanted you to believe, well, this kid is in blackface. And now there was a story yesterday that said the fans, there's this calling for the fans to show up, uh, all show up basically with their faces. Well, no, I, I think the Kansas City Chiefs should apologize mm. and give reparation to the Buffalo Bills and give them one of their Super Bowls. Yeah, it could be the only way the Bills ever get a Super Bowl. So, yeah, okay, I'm with you on that. Gee, it is. Get it however you can. <laughs> There may be a better shot of it happening that way than anyway. <laughs> Shit it. Shit but it's just it's just insane and the backlash has been because that was a that was a that was one of those things again going after essentially a kid in that way and having to to skew the whole thing down to you know post the picture of him turned to one side and make it look like he was wearing blackface. It does show their Native American phobia. Mm. Yeah, of course. All right, why we may not be doomed, this Mm. story. Mm. Headline, Utah State quarterback reveals plan for Navy SEAL training after tremendous performance uh, in a win. Levi Williams scored a 13-yard touchdown off a broken play to help Utah State top New Mexico last week and help them clinch a bull berth for a third consecutive year. Getting to a fourth consecutive bowl game does not seem to be the main purpose for Williams, though. As the quarterback revealed on Monday, he will forego his final year of eligibility to join U.S. Navy SEAL training. I love football, and it's so great, but I knew that eventually I w- it was going to come to an end He told the media, I just want to be in a spot where I can protect this great country where we get to play football with the freedom to do that. I think this is the best country in the world, so I'd like to keep it that way and protect it as long as I can. You know, I was um, talking to someone the other day and I was asking, you know, where's that generation? Where's the generation that that does this or or does that anymore? And and how many things have kind of gone away uh, and, and were generational. And and what you hear from this young man is something you might have heard, you know, decades ago. And I'm so grateful. And it, 
number one, that he's not the only one who wants to serve his country. But the way that he does it, and, and he's fairly high profile. I mean, this is making the news uh, now that, that he's done this. But, I mean, it is something that is terrifically satisfying as an American to know that it's not all generational, that there are young people that still think the same way. It's part of his family culture, though. Yeah. Williams, a junior graduate quarterback, would try to continue his family's legacy of being in the military, and the selection process will start in February, and the training would start in the summer. Quote, it's always been in my heart my entire life. Yeah. My mom was in the Army. My grandparents Mm. were in the Army and Navy. Mm. He told the athletic people in the military are always what I want to emulate because they're some of the best people, some of the best teams on the planet. Yep. It's true. I, yeah, I read that yesterday, and I'm I'm choking up when I read that. I love it, and and again, you know, it it because all the things you and I talk about, we and we've said it, but it bears repeating here. You know, I'm concerned about the future generations for this country. We're concerned about the debt, not because it's necessarily going to have a a negative impact on us. I mean, you're really old, so it probably won't have much of an impact on you. But for me... We need cameras in the studio right at that moment there, by the way, so people can see my face when you said that. You made a worse face than... When I told you that the Bills were only going to get a Super Bowl if somebody <laughs> handed it to But, you know, but that's the idea. The idea is that future generations should, you know, you, you look for it to be like with, with our own children and grandchildren. We want them to do better. We want them to succeed more. We want them to have more in terms of opportunity. We want that liberty preserved. We want those options, that freedom. There's nothing in the world that can replace that. And there's nothing else that can preserve it except for people willing to serve. Still today and since the beginning, it requires people you don't know doing something that they know when when they join, when they sign up. I could have to pay the ultimate price. But I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do my part in order to keep this nation free. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this also, because when you, you, you talk about, um, you know, we when we talk about what the definition of happiness is, and this goes all into the, the, uh, the whole thing of the... Uh, the, the loneliest study that was done, uh, you know, that capitalism causes loneliness. And we read the John Stossel article earlier saying, no, it doesn't. There's no evidence that capitalism, in fact, it's a complete opposite uh, of that. And then we started talking about the, the, the freedom studies that are done in socialist countries where people are handed stuff uh, that uh, they didn't have to work for mm. is what makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Somebody else paying their freight makes them happy and i went well 
Uh, not really. Think about this. This young man, what will make him happy is probably doing the hardest physical job anybody in the world ever has to do. Mm -hmm. And that's before you even get the job. You're in the training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I read, uh, you know, when I read Lone Survivor, Mm -hmm. uh, and so much of that is about the training. Um, I was... I was saying, how do they do? Th- I'm just reading it. I'm not witnessing it. I'm reading it. I'm like, I, I couldn't do this. You know, why would you? And and I know why. Why the Navy SEAL training exists because you get in the position as he did mm-hmm. get in that position yeah. where it's between life and death, and you want to mentally train someone where they don't feel the discomfort and pain that normal people feel. Yeah. You want to take them to the absolute limits of what a human being can do without killing them. Yep. Yep. And mentally it it has to be, you have to be mentally strong in order to persevere, to, to, to go through that because in the real world, in the real settings, it requires you to put that training to work. In those situations, and there are very few people that can do that. And they're not being forced to do it. They do it because they want to do it. Right. That's what will bring them happiness yeah. long term. Right. Because I'm sure there'll be some times in the training yeah. where they're not going to be that happy. Yeah. I, I mean, the water training is just when you see it's just, yeah, it's just, it's so brutal. But you understand. I say, you know, you you say brutal because the training is brutal, but you're doing it out of an act of, when you think about it, it's like, it's like when my dad threw me in the water the first time when I was, I don't know how old I was, when I couldn't swim and I wouldn't go near the water and he grabbed mm-hmm. me and just threw me in. Well, yeah. you're terrified at that moment, but that really wasn't an, that wasn't a mean act. That was an act of, of kindness and generosity towards his son because he wanted his son as an adult to know he could jump in, jump in water anywhere and he could survive and he could swim. That mm-hmm. was the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And it's true. So, I mean, that's actually an act of love when you do that. And But when you see, you read those words, you're just like, and just like you, I go, where the hell does this come from in this selfish society? <laughs> yeah. And it comes from the family. Well, so much comes from the family. Right. So much. I look at my life and it wasn't even I mean the neighborhood was, you know, the neighborhood because the mindset was the same. Even if the politics were a little bit different from different people, yeah. I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. The mindset was, you know, the mindset was the same. But it's really what I learned. You know, I look at what form my basis of thought. It came from my parents. Mm-hmm. It really sure. did. You're exposed sure. to that every day. You know, school, now school didn't take me away from what my parents were teaching me. They reinforced it. Mm -hmm. But it came from, it all came from my parents. Mm -hmm. It really did. Sure. And in a society where you don't have, you know, two-parent families, uh, my brothers and sisters and I will talk about it once in a while. Could you imagine if mom and dad ever got a divorce? Can't even imagine that. Mm -hmm. Can't imagine that. Yeah. And you think about what a gift that is. Yeah. To, to to kids to have that kind of 
that kind of stability. Now, my parents were, you know, they were, they were at times very strict disciplinarians. Mm-hmm. You know, very, you know, my dad at times could be very strict. It was out of love. Sure. All out of love. Well, discipline, actually, if you look at it, adolescents especially, adolescent boys. Oh, yes, I've said this before. Really <laughs> require that discipline, but in a way that we're, they don't know it. They're not asking for it. They're going to fight you every every uh, you know step of the way on it in terms of any authority in their life at that level but they re- they require and and they do deep down their their instincts desire that discipline mm-hmm. one of the things one of the many things that i've learned about uh children in uh, going through the adoption process that we did with our youngest and she's special needs and it's hard to believe she's 27 now. Um, but it's so, it was such a learning process. And you learn about what, what kids need, what children need from the very first moments out of the womb throughout their life as they become adults. But discipline is, is key. Um, that uh, nurturing is obviously part of it, but discipline is key because they, it reminds them that everything is going to, that, that somebody is in charge, that somebody has got a, you know, a system that there are rules. And again, you know, people can uh, take it too far, but that's not what we're talking about. True discipline is something that benefits those children, and they may not see it during those adolescent years, but I know firsthand uh, as adolescents become adults, they turn around and and thank you and are grateful for it because they realize what the learning process was for them and that it is it's, it's tough. It's a full-time job, especially when those children go on to become parents themselves. They realize it's a full-time job. When you talk about though the the culture of families and communities you, you mentioned you know growing up in buffalo my my friends from del rio and i have talked about this there was something about that time that we were all in del rio and and we were from different cultures and backgrounds and you know it's a big air force town and the whole thing but there was something at that time where we all and we still get together on a regular basis and we were Texting in a, in a group text every single day, several times a day. But there was that similar mindset. And it is, you know, and it, some of the stuff is generational. But when parents, when families pass that down, then those next generations then become a part of what, you know, in this case, you know, wanting to serve or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I've talked about going into law enforcement and, uh, that's where I was going right before I came to this job. And my final decision was based on my hearing. If I missed something and at that time that hearing issue could not be corrected to satisfy me. And I didn't want to miss something because I realized that if I did and it was based on my hearing, it could mean somebody gets hurt or worse. And I made that decision not to pursue that but if you 
you know, if you look at it, it I mean, it's cultural. I see it with my son because he sees it with his grandfather. You know, th- those things where you learn from your family, it still applies even if you don't follow in their footsteps. And that's a benefit to society. It's It all starts in the home. If you would have become a police officer, would you, you have been as mean to the people that you pull over as you are to me? Probably not. Wouldn't be as satisfying. Well, that's right. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be nearly as satisfying. <laughs> 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's our Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. So uh, Henry Kissinger passing away uh, yesterday, 100 years old. Yeah. Uh, former National Security Advisor for Nixon, then became Secretary of, uh, of of State. One of the really interesting things, and, you know, the controversy will always go on about, you know, the the secret negotiations and, and uh, the the. Uh, the, uh, the the bombing of Cambodia and Laos. Mm-hmm. That will always be something that will be controversial for uh, Kissinger. One of the interesting things politically about him was that you don't see today. He was, he was a national security advisor, and they basically shut out the Secretary of State and the State Department. Right. It yeah. was you know yeah. before he became Secretary of State. Right. Uh, but he was he was national security advisor, and they basically shut out the State Department. Yeah. It was he yeah. and Nixon that had a very close relationship that did a ton of things and did them in secret. Mm. And, you know, uh, initi- you know the the uh, initial push for detente, easing the tensions between Russia and, and China, really came from those two. And a lot of yeah. those things yeah. were done through back channels. Well, we talked about, I think we've mentioned over the years, that a national security advisor and for any president uh, is closer to them than the vice president. And yeah. closer to them than Secretary State. of State and others. It is, you know, those are the, the things that you look at as as we, you know, look at, at any given president. Um, still makes you wonder. And he's a perfect example of that, what you just lined out. Uh, he was. And, and, you know, it makes you wonder where we are now. You know, the, the confidence in the current commander-in-chief uh. is waning. Well, I, what, what I loved was the first picture. I just looked into Facebook. The first picture that came up was him with Dolly Parton. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his eyes were where, not where they were supposed to yes, be. Yes, where his eyes were very interesting. But yeah. the interesting thing is you would never view him as like a studly kind of guy. Right. He yeah. dated all these hot actresses in the 70s mm. before he got married. Right. But, yeah. I mean, you name it, you look at the list, you go, really? Mm. Henry Kissinger? Hmm. It's like, yeah. Hmm. And I think he said power is the greatest aphrodisiac. Oh. He said that. <laughs> okay.
the fourth branch of government. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You did see the story that uh, Kevin McCarthy is looking to leave. You know, and it, get it, out by the end of the year. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, and Newsom, who would appoint, apparently, yeah. might just keep it unfilled. Right. right. And then if, uh, what's his name from New York, Santos is out. Right. Your lead in the House is extremely small. Right. The other thing is, you know, you've got the, the, the story out there about the defense authorization bill and the spine from intelligence agencies that uh, you've got 54 members of Congress mm. that want that to be a separate debate and a standalone bill because nobody trusts this administration. Right. Nobody trusts what has been happening over the last decade. I won't say nobody. Because there are people that just want to slide it through, and they're like, "This needs to be, to be debated separately. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about the surveillance that the federal government has done, yeah. and their abuses, yeah. and we need to have a bill where it doesn't uh, happen. You know, where it doesn't happen uh, again." But uh, not McCarthy, uh, but um, um, Johnson. Again, Johnson, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Johnson's on the hot seat right now, but he's been extremely quiet. Yeah. You know, and and if you lose yeah. McCarthy, then we go back to what we got a lot of criticism for, but we were right. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that that was an exercise in futility. It accomplished nothing. Right. Getting rid of McCarthy and going to Johnson. Right. Yeah. And why why it got support? From many of our listeners, mm-hmm. I have no idea because we told you things weren't going to get weren't going to change. And if McCarthy is out and that seat remains open, it's worse. Yeah. Yeah. What have you accomplished? Right. Yeah. And it was not a, that it was not a that personality that yeah. conflict and nothing, nothing more, yeah. nothing less. Not that I'm necessarily a fan of Mac- McCarthy or Johnson or that I wish to uh Criticize either of them. I think things, as you and I both said, would remain the same, whether it was Johnson or McCarthy. And as we saw, what the eight would not go for is exactly what was passed to get us through to next year. Right. And it won't be much different getting, you know, through 24. No, it won't be. You know, they'll bring up the talk again. But you don't have the numbers to change anything. Because the numbers aren't going to change until at least January of 2025. And frankly, my confidence in the GOP to make it happen to where they gain a greater lead in the House, gain the Senate, and the White House is is waning. I can see Trump beating Biden. We're actually seeing some polls now that demonstrate that. But you've got to carry over in the Senate. And you've got to carry a larger margin in the House to get things done. And the GOP right now, is it just seems to be, it's like you're picking up something and it's disintegrating in your hands. And it's it's frustrating. I was reading an analysis on a lot of the candidates for Senate, though, that, uh, remember, McConnell was like, we need to get better. And they're like, they haven't had to do much because mm. the candidates 
that are running for Senate on the Republican side are really good. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not picking. Yeah. And and that's what happened. We thought there were some terrible candidates. Right. We thought, and we were criticized uh, for it. We thought Dr. Mm-hmm. Oz was a horrible candidate. Yep. 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 And, you know, you, to use that as an example. Right. And and when it comes to the the uh, the, the House, some of the loudest voices in the Republicans right now are not good loud voices. Right. Yeah. Well, and too many people making it about themselves. Yeah. And the fact is, is that nothing is going to happen unless the GOP can can get it together and can win as a party. And they're going to have to get. They're going to have to retain the, the House. They're going to have to get the Senate and they're going to have to get the White House, for things to change. And it's frightening to think of the fact that Democrats are still winning elections. We can look at all the polls. We see what's happening. It's right there in front of us. We have lifelong liberals screaming about it and how they want to vote for Trump, but I still don't have confidence in the GOP. And that's the problem. You know, it was interesting. You and I don't think we talked about it on the air, but it was. Uh, I think I think it was John Nolte from Breitbart that said, "You know, here's the difference. It's like eleven, twelve points from from last time. Yeah, that that uh, Biden was up. Uh, I think like two two point something points over Trump. Yeah, yeah. back uh, four years ago. Mm. Now Trump's up like by nine points. You know, nine or you know ten points. It's like I, it was close to a twelve point difference. He goes, that's the problem." Mm-hmm. That's the problem that they have mm. because that's a huge swing. You don't necessarily just look at the one poll and go, well, that poll is slam dunk. But yeah, when you look at right. the vast majority of polling out there, yeah. and they went by the real clear politics average. Right. You know, so you're taking the yeah. average of the polls, and there's a that's the problem that Biden has. And it's not going to get any better for them. And again, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't. I don't see a scenario for Haley. I don't see no. any scenario for DeSantis right now. And National Review had an article yesterday. Why nothing has changed? Because everything is the indictments. Mm-hmm. Republicans are supporting the support for Trump might not be there if he wasn't indicted. But the indicted is, is the example of what they hate, which is a two-tier system of justice. And, and that carries over, and, and, and they find out after the election, imagine Trump wins, he beats Biden, which is very possible. We're looking at, you know, the again, the polls right now, and and things are trending, and what's what would help Biden? You have to ask that question. Uh, there's nothing on, you know, the plate between now and November 5th of next year that's going to improve Biden's numbers. Uh, but you look at that and and imagine, you know, Trump wins. And after the election, they go back and say, OK, what was it? And if at the base it was the indictments and the two tier justice system, that's not nothing, by the way. Um, that's not one of these empty votes. That's something to stand up against. And if you're you know, if that it. it if that frightens you the most about everything that's going on right now and you vote that way, there's nothing wrong with that. But if the liberals see that with all of that stuff that was that is being thrown at Trump, uh, New York, Georgia, everywhere else, 
and it doesn't stick, but it catapults him into office again. And we'll add this to the mix. Imagine he's able to carry some of those other, you know, the down ballot goes his way. Well, he will. If he if if Trump won, let's say hypothetically, mm-hmm. we'll cut it in half because I think the, uh, you know, you if if he wins by five, yeah, then the down ballot's going to be there. Down ballot will be there yep. big time because in twenty sixteen there were some seats uh, that uh, that outperformed him. Although they still won, they outperformed him. It could be the other way around. If he outperforms, and I guess that would be the tell. If he outperforms them and the down ballot goes his way, but he outperforms those uh, other GOPers on that down ballot, it will show that he's carrying that over. And that is something that the left would be screaming about with all these you know, bogus indictments Here's it against him. Here's what worries me. Remember when Paul Ryan went to debate Biden mm-hmm. for the vice president, the one vice president presidential debate in 2008. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought 2012. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. 2012. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. 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 It was McCain in 2008. Mm hmm. Man, I've been doing this a long time. You're pa- right. Palin, You're- Palin would have been, right. yeah, the, the vice presidential. Yeah. Uh, You're right. I am getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when uh, in, uh, in in 2012, mm-hmm. everybody thought that Ryan was going to smoke him. Yeah. And Ryan right. lost that debate. And he had everything he needed behind him to win it mm-hmm. on the issues. Mm-hmm. Because we know in that, the, the uh, exit polling in that election, that... People agreed way more slam dunk with Romney. They didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. And we just, and not that the vice presidential debate was a key factor of that happening, but it didn't help. But that's why I think tonight, looking at the debate between Newsom and DeSantis, if DeSantis can't smoke him in this debate, it is to me a precursor of the fact that Republicans cannot win an election and a debate when all the issues are behind them. I mean, that, that, excuse me, that, that the people of the country are behind them on the issues, not that the issues are behind them (laughs) straight there, that people agree, you know, with where Republicans stand on the issues. And if you still can't win the debate, if you cannot, if DeSantis can't articulate it, which I believe he can, but if he can't. And we went through all the points yesterday that the Wall Street Journal laid out. Mm-hmm. And it's all economics. All of it's economics. And there was like 10 points that they brought up. Can kill him here, kill him here, kill him here, kill him here, kill him here. And that's the number one thing on people's minds. Yeah, And that's the thing that you look at and you just say, all right, what is the history? Why, like I said, even... Over the, this this week, I would expect that Johnson is out there pounding on different issues every single day. Mm-hmm. And he's more, from what I can see in the media, on the defensive, on the uh, uh, the uh, Defense Department appropriations and uh, whether surveillance should be involved in it. He seems to be on the defensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, this stuff shouldn't be happening. And as I said, I have every confidence in the world that uh, the Republicans 
uh, can snatch defeat out of a sure victory. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Ab- I'm, We've ab- seen ab- it happen. Yeah. Too many times. And that's the frustrating part of it. That's the really frustrating part uh, uh, of it is why? Why can't you get it together and promote a good, moderate, conservative message that that um, independents and many Democrats would embrace right now? Those messages, in fact, are playing out in the constituents' minds every day because they're dealing with those issues every day. You know, you talk about inflation, uh, the border, any of it. Uh, the radical behavior from the far left, all of that's playing out right in front of them all day, every day. All you have to do is point to it. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up here following the top of the hour, uh, where is X formerly known as Twitter, where are they going to be a year from now or mm. two years from now? Mm. Uh, Elon Musk uh, opening his mouth over the last couple of days. We'll get yeah. to that. And where will college be in 10 years? It was interesting because these two stories came out yesterday. number of colleges offering courses on Taylor Swift. And you're like, okay, you're not, you're making sure that you're not relevant anymore as a college, <laughs> when you start doing things like that. In my opinion, that's what I get out of it. At the same time, I saw that story. Within an hour, I saw the story of nearly half of U.S. companies plan to ax uh, bachelor degree requirements for a number of jobs yeah. out there after 55% said they've already eliminated bachelor degree requirements for many jobs uh, in 2023 already, hmm. and 45% plan to do more in the coming year. So where's college going to be in 10 years? Who's going to be paying? Who's going to want to take out loans? The only way you'll go to college is if the government guarantees that they'll pay your entire college loan before you take it out, which means you're not going to take out a college loan the government's just going to pay you for it. That's not going to happen because the money's not there. Right. Well, and how many young people right now are choosing a profession where, all right, I can do uh, one year, two years of training or or a trade where I can go in and get the training on the job and I can make a lot more money than going and getting an arts degree. My... my uh nephew i'll tell you about it is basically has an internship schooling from this huge dealership in new york yeah to become a mechanic right that's a big deal i know it is yep
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around this entire planet. We are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you for being here. We're almost there, almost to December. Not there yet. One more day. That's what they keep and then we'll get saying. Yes. And then we'll be there. How are we not to December yet? <laughs> Meanwhile, hmm. Eric and I in the past have talked about big oil. Yeah. We've talked about big wind. Uh-huh. In fact, I thought last time we went in depth into talking about big wind, we might get in trouble for it. <laughs> well, and it's, I- it's where just the... The uh, label of big wind was leading us and the innuendos Mm -hmm. that we were throwing out. Yes, we are doing everything we can to break big wind. Yes, that was it. Yes, that was basically, that was our rallying cry, break big wind. By the way, I think there's clear evidence big wind was responsible for the White House tree toppling the other day. Exactly where I was going. Thank you. We hadn't discussed it, but that's that's what I see right here. There's yeah, a story in there, front of me. We never got it's, to it. It's clear. Big wind knocked down the White House Christmas tree. Because mm-hmm. they're not getting their way. We need to stop. We need to break big wind now. Everyone should be looking to break big wind. It was apparently a gust. <laughs> That's the people's tree. <laughs> <laughs> it was just. Wait a minute. Hold uh, it. What? Hold it. What? It's still called the national Christmas tree under Biden. It's really? not the holiday tree. Wow. It's Christmas. Wow. What did I see the story? You know, the liberal media does the fluff, of course. Dr. Jill Biden shows us around with all the Christmas decorations, and it was something like, I don't know, 240,000 trees, Christmas trees around the White It could be fewer than that. I think it was 200. I could be wrong. (laughs) 240,000. But it was so gaudy looking in one area. I was like, okay. We can tone that down. We can look. I get it. I love decorating for Christmas, but it was like they were going out of their way to cover everything up. And the Bidens are good at covering things up. Yeah, but the fact is they didn't, Eric, because they didn't have all the stockings out like they did last year. There's no stockings for their grandkids on the fireplace. That. It's like, yeah, we'll just abandon all of them so that we don't have to recognize the one. Can you imagine the trouble I would be in? I've got eight grandkids. If I decided, well, we're not going to put your stockings up 
on the wall. We've decided it would be over. It would be over. <laughs> I would be in such big trouble. By the way, um, speaking of Hunter, and we weren't, but I will. Uh, it was thought that one of the trees had been flocked. Turns out, no. The tree was just hanging around Hunter for a while before <laughs> before they put Wait, it up. What was your line the other day? Oh, no, it's... Nikki uh, Haley? Yeah. No, that's so what it was, yes. Nikki Haley, uh, <laughs> for those that didn't see it, got the in- endorsement from Coke. Uh, and, you know, going back uh, for years, the Coke money, K-O-C-H, uh, the, the Koch brothers, one of them has since passed. Uh, the Koch brothers have been highly political. And, and so the endorsement came from Koch and others. And I said, uh, well, um, just like Hunter, the Koch money isn't going to do her any good. <laughs> yes, that was it. Yeah, he said that off the air, and I said you got to right. figure a way to, yeah. to say that on the right. air smoothly, which of course we just didn't do. Yeah, we just <laughs> mangled it completely. I said when it comes naturally, throw that in. Yeah, well, it didn't. Well, why not force it? And because you know, we were making, we were having the discussion. You know, what does it mean? Well, it, it doesn't really mean anything. The, the candidate still has to has to go on. But uh, speaking of Coke money and and Hunter, um. <laughs> Right, that's how you said it. And and flocking uh, the tree. Um, yeah, uh, it's it, it just seems weird. The Bidens and the whole Christmas at the White House thing. But the tree falling the other day, I thought, you know what? He can't even get that right. <laughs> they fumbled the tree. And I know it was the wind, or was it? Did the tree just give up? <laughs> I think we have to look into it. The tree just gave up. Pete Ducey, ask that question. Right. Was it the wind, or did the tree just give up? No other president in the history of the United States ever had problem Putting up the national Christmas tree. Right. What's the problem, What's Kareen? The problem. And why is Hunter's tree flocked? <laughs> oh, yeah. We know where so, his coke money so came if, from. So, if we were in the White House press corps uh-huh. under this administration, our only goal is to get banned, right? That oh, yeah. Be, that'd be well, our only goal. The, the contest would be who can. Who can get banned in, in the shorter amount of time? And we'll we'll measure it by Scaramucci's. All right. <laughs> A Scaramucci, for those that don't know politically, is 0.1 seconds. Yes. <laughs> which is how long the mooch. Where's he been? You know where I saw him the other day? Uh, it was uh, CNBC. Middle East, which is their, well, their broadcast in the Middle East. And he was there analyzing something politically. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Now, I don't know if they're set up in New York. I don't know where they broadcast from, but it's geared toward the Middle East. And, you know, CNBC and all the 
all the cable news channels and financial channels have their different, you know, Europe or or whatever broadcast. But Scaramucci was on CNBC Middle East talking about uh, political strategies. I thought, why? Boy, there must be sen- some censoring <laughs> that goes on that network. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, why would you talk about that? What? Why would he talk about? Why would you have him? Why would you even be interested? The mooch. Yeah, we would. We would. Uh, we would measure it in in scaremooches. All right. So here we go. All right. Uh, this is from the Daily Mail UK. How the college degree lost its value. Nearly half of U.S. companies plan to axe bachelor degree requirements after Walmart, Accenture, and IBM led the charge. Some forty-five percent of companies plan to eliminate bachelor degree requirements for some jobs. 55% say they've already eliminated bachelor degree requirements so far in 2023. Hmm. Uh, and then it's some job positions, but these are positions that you have to have a degree right now. In. Okay. All right. Half of U.S. Half of U.S. companies now intend to eliminate bachelor degree requirements for some, some job division, excuse me, some job positions in the next year. A new survey has revealed and 55% said they'd already eliminated degree requirements this year, according to an Intelligent.com survey of 800 U.S. employers carried out in November. Wow. Hmm. Uh, the survey found that the same employers have already eliminated bachelor's degree requirements and were far more likely to continue doing so. Uh, for example, Accenture launched an apprenticeship program in 2016 through which it has hired 1,200 people, CNBC reported. 80% of those people joined the company without a four-year degree. Hmm. You know, we had asked this question, uh, uh, you know, even before, you know, COVID or mm-hmm. anything. We, mm-hmm. We'd asked this a while back. We said, when will companies say, we have to have our own apprenticeship programs? We have to have our own schools. Yeah. Because right. the colleges are not, they are not concerned with people getting jobs. But then again, are, are some of the students not concerned with getting jobs? And this is one of the reasons we've always stated that we believe if you're going to go to college, you should pay your own way. If you get a scholarship, yeah. that's fine. Right. right. But the fact is, it shouldn't be free. Because there's no value to it if it's free. There is no, and this goes right back to economics, there's no incentive for you to actually take that education and use it to become a productive member of the private sector, and which should be your goal. Would, employers would view it differently, too. That if it's paid for, that essentially, you essentially just kind of showed up and it wouldn't have the same value to employers. Now, you don't even have to get to that point of the government paying, you know, for college. Now it's, hold on a second, we need to hire people that we can train to do what we do and incentivize them differently and also set a different standard for the, the hiring. Talking to my oldest granddaughter, and she's in college right now. And she said for her field that she's going into that 
uh, her associates actually gets her to the field of practice and then training. She said the bachelor's degree in her field, the only thing it does, the only thing it changes is if she wants to teach in that field, and she doesn't. Well, And she said, I can go to work after I finish two years. I can start working, and that's what I want to do. I want to be productive, and that's what, and it's not just in that field. It's in the dental field, but it's not just that field. It's everywhere now you're looking at it going, okay, what do we need? We need people who are interested in doing this kind of work. We need to, and we need to screen them accordingly. But we need to incentivize them in a different way and also set a different standard and not pick from a field. Because if you think about it, an employer, the way the employer, you know, you put out an advertisement or whatever, it's online, it's uh, through maybe one of the, the job sites, um, you know, Indeed or something like that, and, and it comes up. But it sets up then this, okay, we require this. And then all of a sudden, your your potential field pool of 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 uh, potential applicants is drawn down to to fit that. Well, that's counterintuitive. It's counterproductive, especially in a world where they know. All right, we may hire someone who who meets that requirement of a bachelor's degree, but then isn't teachable. You know, we find out that they're not teachable. It's better to screen someone. For someone we know that we can hire on, train, and and then work them, you know, basically through that process and and incentivize them along the way. For someone who was finishing his first semester in college 50 years ago right now. <laughs> congratulations. <clears throat> uh, some of the elective courses, especially. Because I started in engineering. I switched, but I started engineering. Those courses were all right on, exactly what you needed. I mean, engineering. Right. Yeah, I mean, you you, right. you look at that and you say, right. okay, if you want to be an engineer, uh, whatever, college can still be tremendously right. uh, beneficial uh, to you. But some of the elective courses, you know, the last course that I had to pass, that I took pass-fail, mm. I've talked about it on the air, my senior year, I'm not making this up, arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. What if you only wanted to do arts? Well, you had to take elective courses, and that was one of them. It was the only thing left, so I had to take it. Mm-hmm. And we took it pass-fail, thank God. Because I might have... It's like, what are we wasting our time for? Why are we paying for this? I mean, that was... Because yeah. I, mean, right. I started in 73, was done in 77. So, right. yeah. you know, that's still, uh, you know, 46 years ago. They yeah. still had completely useless courses. And right. we know now, I mean, we'll talk about it in a couple of moments here, but the whole, you know, Taylor Swift college courses to be offered at Harvard, UC Berkeley, and the University of Florida. Shut him down. It's so stupid. Shut him down. Yeah. You're useless. Yeah. Stop it. Well, and and for these schools to even go out of their way to try and have some kind of viral moment where people are why are you even engaging in that kind of behavior yeah why in the world would you do that well it shows you they've learned nothing that they believe being cool and hip nope 
The value is in the real education. What is actually learned on those campuses? And if it's nothing, it is up to the employers to train people to bring them into the workforce. And they're doing, I have an example of one of my nephews and what he's going through right now, which was just excellent to have the conversation that I had with them uh, Thanksgiving dinner when I had to, again, this year, sit at the kids' table. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe one day. Oh, would I be in my 90s? Maybe. When I finally get moved up? Yeah, if you get moved up. It's a process, man. I'll let everybody know it was my choice. All right. 866-90-RED-EYE. Brought to you by Hotshot Secret. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Drivers must always be prepared for a roadside inspection. This means drivers should always have their personal, vehicle, and company credentials organized and ready, and having any shipment paperwork, such as bills of lading or hazardous material shipment emergency response information, organized and ready for the inspection official. Just an FYI, the top two violations written against drivers every year, as well as during Operation Road Check, are log general form and manner and log not current. Both are completely avoidable if the driver keeps the log accurate, compliant, and current at all times. Having the vehicle ready for inspection involves the driver conducting daily inspections and making sure any problems that are discovered are immediately corrected. Vehicle readiness also requires the company to make sure that the vehicle is current on all scheduled maintenance and that the maintenance schedule is adequate. This will make sure the driver is being given a sound vehicle to start with. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. In Trudeye Radio, he's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Now, we we told you earlier uh, that we might not be doomed if we keep uh, producing people like the uh, Utah State quarterback who's giving up his eligibility in his last year to become a Navy SEAL and talked about this being the greatest country in the world and what an honor it would be, and he wants to be a Navy SEAL. That's what he wants to be that's on one end now the other end of it would be why we are doomed Mm -hmm. which is the number of taylor swift courses now that colleges are picking up and we were just talking about uh you know the the problem right now where colleges just don't relate and there are companies out there saying now more and more jobs every day that required bachelor degrees are now saying doesn't require a bachelor degree so We'll go into that. I'll tell you about my, it's really fascinating, one of my nephews uh, who uh, is (laughs) being schooled by a car dealership to become a mechanic. And the conversation that we had on that, which Mm. was just a a wonderful conversation Mm. uh, during our Thanksgiving dinner. That more on the way.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. And talking about the number of uh, companies that are uh, saying, okay, we're not going to require a bachelor's degree anymore for this, this story also, or, you know, for certain jobs. And 55% now say uh, in the future here, the near future, they're going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So more than half of companies are now dropping the college requirement, bachelor degree requirement. Uh, same day comes the story. Taylor Swift course at Harvard uh, will use music to explore her music to explore race, class, and white Americanness. Students will learn how to think about white texts, southern texts, transatlantic texts, and queer subtexts. Okay. The English department at Harvard plans to debut the course next semester. All right. Taylor Swift and her world will be taught by English professor Stephanie Burt, a Swift mastermind who's described by the student newspaper as a diehard Swifty. Wow. We are lucky enough to be living in the time when one of our major artists is also one of the most famous people on the planet. Why would you not have a course on that? Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I have my hand up. I can answer that question. Because it's useless. Wow. We're living in a time where what? One of our most famous artists is what? By the way, that's the way it's always worked. I know. It. We were living in that time in the 50s with Elvis in the 60s with the Beatles in the 70s with the Bee Gees in the 80s with hair bands in the 90s with Nirvana in the 2000s with I'm lost from that point on I tuned out after that here we go here Mm -hmm. we go now, this reading this, I had a tough time with the next two sentences here. Mm-hmm. You ready? Here we All go. Right. Education themes appear in Swift's songwriting. Okay. Quote, we cry tears of mascara in the bathroom, honey. Life is just a classroom. Swift sings in the 2014 hit New Romantics. That's the education theme. Okay. And then also the education theme continues in another song, Bejeweled, back in 2022, where she wrote, I think it's time to teach some lessons. Yeah. Students at Harvard will not just analyze her music, though. Required readings span from Willa Cather's portrait of a female artist in The Song of the Lark and James Weldon Johnson's The Autobiography of an Ex-Colored Man, a novel dissecting issues of race and class in the post-Reconstruction South. 
Some of the works aim to address the urban-rural divide in America. The syllabus states students will learn how to think about white texts, southern texts, transatlantic texts, and queer subtexts. Because that's what you get out of Taylor Swift's music. Okay. Harvard is only the latest major university to include pop star subject matter in its course load, making them making them continually. They just want to be not relevant anymore, do they? In, into what college is supposed to be there for. The number one reason is to get you into a career. To get you a real education. Real education that you can, apply. Get, that you can apply in real life, yes. But this proves that they don't care about being relevant. And it means, really, you probably never will care about it. These elite campuses are are just, you know, this is, well, if you're going to learn nothing anyway, why not just learn nothing about someone who's irrelevant? Taylor Swift is someone who establishes complicated and changing relationships to the idea of Americanness and yeah. to the idea of white Americanness okay. and of Middle America, she told the Crimson. All right. What a load of Let's put it this way. If if PhD and what it means ever ever applied, it applies here, piling it higher and deeper. I uh, am a graduate of Harvard. I majored in Taylor Swift. What? I, now, I said I majored in. This is this is my son, graduate of Harvard, PhD in Taylor Swift. Now, the closest I ever came to this. Yeah, I want to make sure everybody knows this goes back uh, fifty years or so. 45 to 50 years. Half a century. Half a century. Say it so, that way. So this... Uh, Sounds much longer. So the, so the statue of limitations... I had to say statue. I, somebody was doing that somewhere. There was in some comedy yeah. saying it. Huh. So the statue of limitations is up here. But then right. this is really true. Mm. A friend of mine was in a class, a poetry class, and he was like, I, I, don't, have a, I don't have any idea what to do here. And I've mm. told the story before. I haven't told mm. it in a couple of years, though. But it's a true story. So I went and I got some old Genesis albums. And and uh, the guitarist from Genesis, Steve Hackett, when he went out on his own. And I got some of those the lyrics from the songs. And I said, submit these. And I said, they'll never figure out. They'll never figure out the, the plagiarism here. They have no idea. They'll never pick up on well, on this. And plagiarism is, you know, one man's plagiarism is just another man's work. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he got an A in the course, but and the guy who transcribed the Beatles, "She Loves You," yeah, really? yeah, yeah, failed. Yes. Well, I mean, with the old Genesis was probably. Uh, you know, the return of the giant hogweed or something like that that got him. <laughs> but 
So, so we got an A, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. The teacher said, you have one of the most active minds and the, the themes and the imagery that, that you presented to me are absolutely incredible and very disturbing. And I suggest you get, you know, some help. You should see a therapist. <laughs> it's it's going to be a problem going forward. So people are going to judge you. Right. So he got an A. Based on this. <laughs> yeah. But she warned the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's clearly like, a loose cannon. But she gave but she gave him an A. He should not be walking around freely in society. Look at these words that he actually put on paper. And today for doing that, a red flag law would apply. You wouldn't be able to get a gun. Exactly. Well, you know, in, in, in my world, inevitably, it would have been even back then, it was, Mr. Harley, listen, I've noticed something. I, I put two and two together. And I noticed that the band Genesis has these same lyrics. That's that's when you have to get ahead of it. You step up and go, yes, sir, I would like to announce that the band Genesis was so impressed with my work <laughs> that they used it on their album. Yes, exactly. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled that you recognize that. I just wish I knew which songs I use so I could read the lyrics, you know, the, the read the lyrics of, of why she said, it told him my old friend, Danny, that you do wonderful work. I mean, it's just uh, amazing how your mind works, but also extremely disturbing. And I think you ought to seek out some therapy. I would love to be able to read those lyrics to see what set her off on that one. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good thing. He didn't use black Sabbath. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What is this that stands before me? I, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a, but that's a, that's the unintended consequence right there. Yeah, it, it is. But, yeah. uh, and, and that's the closest I ever got to a, a Taylor Swift course and I was sort of initiated it. Uh, but, uh, talking to my, one of my nephews, and it was really great because we're talking about college and, mm. and the, the fact that more companies now, over half of uh, American companies that were surveyed have said that they're going to drop a, a bachelor degree requirement for a vast number of jobs out there. And they believe it's going to continue. And my um, one of my nephews is actually being taught. There's a, a, an entire school of becoming an auto mechanic and the dealership. It's a huge dealership in mm -hmm. New York, huge. Mm -hmm. uh, and he goes to class every day. There's classes. And then yeah. you go into a, into a shop and he's always had an interest in automobiles. And so uh, has my brother-in-law, right? So it fit perfect, but 
I asked him, I said, you're probably being treated with a lot of respect, aren't you? And he goes, oh, there's everybody's so nice. They're so incredibly not, nice. And, and they, they motivate us every day. And it's yeah. like, it's just yeah. a wonderful place. I said, cause you're going to have a talent. They want, they need you and they need you. Oh man. They need you bad. And I said, yeah. if you can do this and you can do this, become a, if you can become a car mechanic, a diesel mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're prepared for anything. Yep. When you think about what a modern automobile, you know, what, you know, the electronics in it, you know, the the mechanics, everything in it. You look at the modern automobile today. If you understand how that thing works across the board, what can't you do? And I told him, you're smarter. You will have more knowledge of things more valuable than 99.9% of the people that come out of college. Well, those in, engineering, engineering, yeah. uh, not included. That's and, and, and there it is. And it goes beyond just being viable in the workforce because populating bays right now is incredibly hard. I have uh, several family members in that industry and it's really hard finding techs for your bays. And that's job number one. You've got to have your bay populated at all times. Otherwise, you can't service the customer. It's just that simple. And it's not easy to do. The work's not easy at all. And then beyond that, your own personal savings of knowing what's going on with your own vehicle. My wife and I were just talking about it the other day. You, going forward, with everything that's coming down, especially retroactively, knowing what those engines do, how they work, and how to repair them is going to be the key. Because as these mandates start rolling out on EVs, you're going to have to have somebody close to you that knows how to repair and maybe replace older engines. That's going to be the key for a lot of people being able to keep their driving ability. 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. Did they ever offer a Metallica course uh, at these colleges? Not that I'm aware no. of. That or, was or a missed it, opportunity. Or is it just an, an Aussie? Mm. <laughs> of course. I'm. You're all crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Nah. No Aussie courses. I would have sat in on that one. I wouldn't have taken any other courses. But there's there's a serious edge to this. As college becomes not as relevant anymore, and it, it's being shown by these companies, as Jonathan Turley says, you know, talking about economics, mm-hmm. are they going to continue to offer what people actually don't want? Right. At some like, point. Like Disney or yeah. college, and we've included college. Exactly. At some point, it has to change. 
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.